Welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast, where we go beyond just talking about your why and actually help you discover and then live your why. You see, we believe that knowing your why, that driving force behind every decision you make and every action you take, is the essential first step to really knowing yourself. It allows you to move forward faster and have a bigger impact. If you're already a fan of the show, then you know that every week we talk about one of the nine whys, and then we introduce you to somebody with that why so you can see how their why has played out in their life. This show will be more powerful for you if you've already discovered your why. If you still need to do that, head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. It'll only take you about five minutes. Now let's meet today's guest. Welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast, where we go beyond just talking about your why and actually helping you discover and live your why. So if you're a regular listener, you know that every week we talk about one of the nine whys, and then we bring on somebody with that why so you can see how their why is played out in their life. And so this week, we're going to be talking about the why of trust, to create relationships based upon trust. So if this is your why, then trust means everything to you. You believe that when relationships are based on trust, the sky is the limit. You will go to great lengths to demonstrate that you are trustworthy and do things such as become an expert in a given area so that you can establish that you can be trusted. You look to do things correctly because that is what a trusted person would do. People with your why often enjoy numbers because numbers don't lie. If someone breaks your trust, it feels like a knife in the gut and you find it almost impossible to have a relationship with them after this loss of trust. Although you tend to have fewer friends, you build loyal and lasting relationships with those people you can trust. And so today I've got a great guest for you. His name is Charles Bird. And there is an official bio and his incredible background and success in Silicon Valley, but that's not as important. What you really need to know about Charles is his proven record of helping others create super profitable joint venture partnerships or relationships. Not only is he one of the most connected people in the online space, he knows how to help you set up lucrative promotional deals that is clients and students book, booking hundreds of thousands of dollars of business. Yet he knows how to help you get qualified leads without you needing to do paid advertising or the need for complicated funnels. I am sure that's music to your ears. If you want to grow your business, Charles is definitely one to pay attention to. Charles's work on relationships, joint ventures, and frictionless systems has been featured in Forbes, ABC News, Sirius XM, Funnel Magazine, and The Science of Success. His new book called Internet Marketing Secrets is an Amazon bestseller. Charles, welcome to the podcast. Gary, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. This is going to be fun. I've been looking forward to this because we're working with you. And so I've gotten to learn some things about you as we have had our conversations but the rest of our audience hasn't yet gotten to meet you. So I want to make sure that that happens today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to do so. And from the moment we met and you explained what you do, I've been intrigued by this. And then as you shared my results of going through your why process and other people were working with, it's it's been really interesting. It's what you're doing is very cool. And I look forward to the insights that we'll both discover in our conversation here. Yeah. So 
Charles, let's go back to when you were younger. Where did you grow up? And then what were you like in high school? All right. So when I was uh, very young, I lived in Canada up until the second grade. I have dual citizenship. My mom was Canadian and my dad from the U.S. And then around the second grade, I moved to California, where I've, for the most part, been ever since, other than a stint in near London for a year. And so I went to high school in Southern California and some in Central California. And yeah, so some bodyboarding and beach time and then some time in the Central Valley, which is markedly less fun. (laughs) So what were you like as a high school kid? Were you outgoing? Were you more reserved? Were you big group of friends, small group of friends? Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So always very social, always feeling a little like a step ahead simply because I had an older brother. And so my peer group was two years older than my classmates and so forth. So I was exposed to ideas and thoughts and different things that felt a little ahead of the curve, kind of a class clown, but not in an annoying way, in a kind of a fun way and pushing boundaries, let's put it that way. And just really enjoying time with friends and family and adventures and riding skateboards and things like that. What do you mean pushing boundaries? Oh, you know, just trying things probably before my peer group did and driving perhaps a little faster than most people might. And those those kind of boundaries, just being exploratory, figuring out life and not being afraid of experiences and kind of being a person who says yes to more things in life than not. Mm, I like it. Okay. And so were you into sports or were you more into kind of the beach thing? And were you into involved in your school or not so involved in school? Not super involved in school. I was probably a B kind of student. My grades went up dramatically in my master's degree than they did in high school, but super into writing skateboards into music that I uh, started playing the drums at a young age and then later guitar and songwriting and creative endeavors that unlike sports, football or things like that, that required team activity, most of mine were kind of independent that you could do on your own schedule. Got it. So more about, yeah, so not not as much of a team player, but more of a fun, good friend, someone that's fun to have around and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Snowboard adventures, trips to the beach, those kind of adventures. Okay. So graduate from school in Southern California, off to college. Where did you go to college? I started at La Sierra University in Southern California. I was there for a year. My brother also went to that school. Then sophomore year, I went to England and went to school there, which was a phenomenal experience. Most of the students were American. So there was a lot of bonding, like you're way closer to people in that kind of environment because they didn't have their families and network. So a lot of tight connections there. Again, very social life of the party kind of person. And then in Tuesday, you're studying art history books in class. And Thursday, you're standing in front of the art in London and traveling Europe on breaks. So a good way to expand the mind and continue on that sense of adventure. And what were you majoring in? Business information systems, which is after uh, Europe, 
finished school in Northern California, which I liked quite a bit more than Southern and stayed up here. So I have a business degree in information systems. And then a little later after I was in my corporate career, also got a master's degree in information technology again. Okay. So graduated in Northern California and then tell us about your business or your career path after college. Where did you start working? What'd you get into? Sure. So I was raised with the mindset of work hard, go to school, go get a job. The concept of entrepreneurship just absolutely never came up. So even though I got a business degree, you hardly even heard about it in the programs at all. It was go to school, get a job. So that's pretty much what I did. I got a job for a big software company in the Silicon Valley. I worked for a billion-dollar software company actually for 15 years. So I started on the help desk doing tech support and so forth. And I'll, I'll caveat that throughout college, I was a server in restaurants, also played in a band for 15 years, doing 75 shows a year around the Bay Area. So both of those Well, certainly the restaurant type of role is a customer service type of role. So you learn to really take care of people. And then in the band context, booking gigs, it's reaching out to people and connecting and lining up, quote, deals, bookings. So some of that fed into what we'll be talking about a little later, I believe. Anyway, so I worked on a help desk for several years, ascended the ranks there into higher levels of support, then started running very large projects across a 6,000-person enterprise, founded the Project Management Institute, trained 12 different project managers. I guided them all to get PMP certified. That's the Project Management Institute. I also got, not that it matters, but Cisco CCNA certified, and then actually ended up creating my own department, the Social Media and Collaboration Department. But I'm still in IT, which is not the best place for creative people and social people. (laughs) IT does not scream either one of those things. So working to keep my life interesting there, I created something called ITTV. And so I would do interviews kind of like CNET. I don't know if you've ever followed things on CNET, but I, I made my own show like that. And then I started creating really creative commercials, advertising the projects I was rolling out across the enterprise. So I would choose the technology, create the international teams of 30 to 50 people, roll out the technology over sometimes eight months, a year or two, and then market and train internally within the company. So I started creating really fun, punchy videos, and then all the other departments wanted me to make them for them. And so I felt like I had that creative outlet and It was empowering to come up with your own fun thing and then bring that to life and always had a taste for what the next phase would be regarding entrepreneurship, but it's a little too comfy in the corporate world to make that jump out of the gate there. So ITTV was a TV station within the company? Yes. Ah, I got you. So kind of how to connect with everybody, how to bring information to everybody, how to excite people, that type of thing. Yeah. So I would do interviews with people that were rolling out a new technology or adopting a new strategy or just different kinds of updates like that. Or as uh, like I rolled out WebEx across the 6,000 person enterprise. So I made quite amusing commercial with my 
kids and nephew at the time who were little kids and they're having a whole conversation about WebEx and it was a huge hit. So those kind of things. So that's kind of blending the creative side, but also the process and execution and management side of things. I like it. Okay. So you're there for 15 years. All of a sudden you decide I'm done with this or how did that, how how did you transition to the next phase? Okay. So there was two elements involved. One, I talked about creating a business for a while and I even formed teams of friends and other people to create a company. We researched products. I was creating a company where we'd have gear that would film snowboarders going through a park and then automate giving them a video back at the end of their day. But when you're trying to fit stuff in on weekends or little holidays, you can't actually get enough traction at it. So a motivating thing was the following. My mom was an OB nurse. She ran a hospital in Central California and also taught nursing school students. I got a call from her one day and she had that serious tone in her voice. And I was like, maybe one of the kids she adopted from Sierra Leone were having trouble in school or something like that. But it wasn't that. She'd been in a minor car accident the day before. She thought she was pressing the brake, but wasn't and hit the car in front of her. And then that day she was reaching for a fork and physically kept missing it by six inches. They took her to the hospital and found she had two stage four brain tumors. And I could barely walk into the house to tell the family that and piled into the car, went to be with her going into brain surgery that night and effectively stayed at her place for the next year, taking care of her. And my mom lived one year to the day from when I got that call. And it crystallized that life is short. There's something you want to go after. If there's an impact you want to make, if there's a quality of life you want for your family, now is the time to do it. And that fueled being a lot more confident in making decisions that in the past would have uh, frightened me off. In fact, my daughter wrote on this whiteboard here, it says, just one more day is one person. So I'll start in just one more day. We'll do this tomorrow. And the other person says, this is day one, we're starting now. Mm -hmm. And it lit that fire. There's a massive difference in those two things. I'm going to start my diet next month, or I'm starting my diet today. There'll be a very vast difference between those two people's outcome. So that lit a fire under me. I decided to create my own company. I left my corporate job chose the entrepreneur path. I had this piece of wood made that says, I can, I will, end of story, meaning I'm committing to this no matter what. I'm burning the boats. I don't care what anyone tells me. My dad's like, go get another corporate job. And I'm like, no. (laughs) And he was always super supportive, but that was the path he was hoping I would take. Anyway, I think that kind of event and commitment to trying something new and figuring it out that is mandatory to making very large shifts in your life. And I can assure you, it leads to a far higher quality of life, a lot more freedom, passion, way better conversations, opportunities like you can't even fathom compared to living in a a nice little corporate world. Mm. So that time with your mother that was a negative turned out to be a positive. Absolutely. And I try to turn any negative into a positive just systematically. I try to take things that 
on the surface are annoying, but you find what is positive about it. And of course, there's some turmoil in that adjustment. I didn't even know what kind of company I wanted to make. I just knew I was going to make something. So you got to start with where you're at. Baby step. There's no straight line. I'm sure you've seen those cartoon analogies. The line to success is like... <laughs> yeah. You like can't connect that, but says, right. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. Yeah, but the underlying thing is not being afraid to take the next step and not being afraid to commit to do that. And once you reprogram your own way of operating, it is very empowering. I'm sure we'll get to this coming up too. But in what I do now, I was always social. I always had a friend network, but nothing like. Now, yeah, it was a conscious decision to start connecting with more people in a deeper way and systematically provide them value. So it's a learned skill. You don't have to naturally be, I'm sure there's inclinations that support being good at connecting and finding opportunities and following up and providing value, but it was all a learned skill that I systematized and took to a whole nother level. So let's talk about that for a minute. You said not being afraid to take the next step. Is that a real statement? Is that reality? Because when you took that step, I can't imagine you weren't afraid, but you did it anyways. That's a far better, far more accurate way of saying it. So you may have some reservations about it, but you're willing to do it anyway. And I was pretty lucky because my wife, I'm like, hey, I'm going to start a company. And this is probably about as deep as the conversation went. I'm going to start a company. She's like, awesome. Go for it. I believe in you. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks, honey. <laughs> yeah, because I have friends that didn't have that kind of support and they're still trapped in jobs they hate because of it. So it is important to have supportive people around you or just have the internal resolve to do it anyway. Okay. So you leave your corporate job. What's the first, I guess we can call it job that you started or first business that you started? Yeah. So I started my company and I had some input. I had some friends I had gone to college that started physical products, companies, wooden sunglasses, wooden watches. And about the time they were buying their third building in San Francisco, I'm like, wait, my peer group can do this and be successful at it. I had no idea. This is inspiring. So I was chatting with them about what I could do. And they were like, don't do physical products like us. We're sourcing stuff from all over the globe, having to put it together, ship it out. There's all these crazy logistics. They're like, go for information products or services. And a light went off like immediately because I'm like, I'm already good at teaching, presenting. I have all these skills. How can I now package them? All I needed at the time was to learn the marketing side. So I created a company. I started going to a lot of events. The product I decided to create was a low ticket productivity course. And I had no one to sell it to because I had no list, no connections. But I, as noted, went to a lot of events and started connecting with people online and quickly found my new entrepreneur peer group already had my ideal clients in their communities on their email lists. And so I started setting up presentations to other people's audiences, delivering high value trainings, and then offering the deeper dive course. And I started 
getting traction, making sales, making a positive impact for those people that invested, growing my list rapidly. And I thought, hey, instead of doing this here or there, what if I take my IT and systems background and simplify and systematize the entire joint venture process, which I did. And eventually people wondered how I booked two to six joint venture promotions per week for my own offers. And I was at a mastermind in Aspen and my phones lighting up with texts, messenger messages, emails, people knocking on my room door, like, how the hell do you do that? Like, so I put together my first live event, high ticket event called Pure JV. And this gets back to one of the points you were saying, when you commit to something specific, the road will form right in front of you. It will just materialize. When the people around you know exactly what you are seeking to do, the resources will literally appear. So when I decided to put together that high ticket event, I'd never done anything like that. When I said, I'm doing it, I'm doing it at this date, I'm doing it at this place, people came out of the woodwork. I'll build your landing page. I'll write you copy. I have friends I can refer to this. I want to go to this. Like it just came together like a magnet. And the event went really well and everyone got a, a ton of value out of it. And it just by committing to something specific, that's how you create the framework. And then you can keep making it more robust and continue iterating. And Kazan's continuous improvement kicks in there. So your first event was called Pure JV. So for people that don't know what JV even means, what are you talking about? What is a JV? What is, yeah, what is that? Oh, great. I'm glad you asked. So that means joint venture. And it's not like two companies merging and getting married and <laughs> doing things together forever, although there, there's some of those, but they're more like promotional partnerships. So an example I like to use is Brian Tracy. How many of your listeners do you think know who Brian is. Most Probably every. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian, deep career, all these books on sales, high performance, and he's created a following of half a million people are on his email list. So as an example of a joint venture, and there's various kinds of this, even a referral is a, is a joint venture. But so Brian's promoted me six times to his list. So Brian has an audience that follow him for those particular reasons. I have a presentation and content that strongly matches and accentuates that message. It builds on it. So he'll mail half a million people inviting his audience to my training. I deliver a high value training to those folks in a typically a webinar format or maybe speaking in person and then offer a deeper dive program for people that would like to go further with it. And of the revenue that comes in for the students or clients that sign up, that's shared with Brian and myself. That's a joint venture. So it's his audience, my product being leveraged in a highly complimentary way where everyone's winning from the interaction. His folks get content he's never made that he may not be an expert in, but it complements why they follow him. I get the benefit of a massive audience that I didn't have previously. So everyone involved is coming out further ahead. So I've systematized the process of creating joint venture strategies for companies, helping them identify ideal partners, how to get the conversations, how to guide those conversations to land actual JVs, and then operationally, how do you conduct it? 
What do you need to send to the partner? What resources need to be in place like landing pages or webinar tools, things like that. And then how to turn each one of those into two or three more. So that's just one example of joint ventures. But anyone listening who has a business who's ever received a referral, you can set that up in a systematic way where that's a joint venture. You have people scouting your ideal clients for you all the time. So, you know, people will say, well, Charles, I get an email almost every day from people that have a list of people I can buy. They'll say, hey, do you want to buy my list of uh, dentists? I've got a list of 120,000 dentists. How's that different? For one, those lists likely won't perform very well (laughs) because those kind of things, they're joint ventures are strategic. These are two professionals putting their mind together to serve that audience in the most effective way possible. Also to create a successful promotion itself so that it does well, it performs well. When you're buying a list like that, you're not the first person they've sold it to. And so these poor people have been slammed with all kinds of things they typically never asked for. And those lists, people are opting out or they're blacklisting any mail coming through from there. So their actual effectiveness is quite low. I know a few people have done that successfully. I've never even entertained the idea because it just doesn't seem like something that would work well. (laughs) Well, To me, it's missing the one big ingredient, which is the influencer. Sure. And that transference of authority. In fact, that's a massive part of why joint ventures are so powerful. If you don't mind, I'll use you as an example. You're about to be on JJ Virgin's stage you're about to do some great things with her. So the fact you have a ton of authority in what you do already, but JJ's audience, it will probably be, I could be wrong, the first time many of them will be exposed to you. So the fact you're there, you're being featured as an expert, which you are, she's saying, you guys have to hear from Gary. I twisted his arm to get him here. This guy's phenomenal at helping people discover their most fundamental motivation for everything they do, this translates to you personally, this translates to your team, this translates to the success of your business. Write down notes and take action on what Gary's saying. Guess what? Those people will. She just transferred all the trust and authority she's built up with her people who love her, follow her, read everything she writes. She just transferred that right over to you. And that means your conversion rate the level of impact you'll make from people listening to what you're saying and taking action just got turned up from like a two to an eight simply because of that. And that's one of the powers of joint ventures and why warm traffic versus people who pay for Facebook ads or YouTube ads or different kinds of ads, this is warm traffic. This is endorsed JV traffic. This is JJ saying, listen to Gary. I vouch for him. He's phenomenal. So if you've listened to me much, you know that our goal, you know, our vision is to be the first step in self-awareness, to be the first step that people take when they're trying to figure out who they are. And our goal is to impact a billion people in the next five years. So think about that. How the heck are we going to do that? How are we going to really impact a billion people? 
And one of the things that you said earlier, Charles, was when you put it out there, people seem to just appear that say, hey, I can help you do that or I want to be part of that. And that's really the essence of joint ventures. I mean, think of how many ads I would have to buy to make that happen. I mean, an unfathomable amount of ads versus working with people that already have massive influence that can then present this concept of YOS or the, actually the software that'll do it to their audience. And so you've talked about, so compare for everybody buying ads, which can work, but how that works versus joint venture. Sure. And I'm actually a fan of diversifying lead flow for people that don't run businesses. That means getting in front of people you can serve with your product or service. So there's three main ways to go about that. You can pay for ads. This is when you're on a website or on your Facebook feed and you see ads on there. You can create content, which if you do that long enough and consistently enough, usually over a year, you'll start attracting people. Or there's joint ventures where people who already have your ideal clients already have these massive audiences that trust them, bestow that trust over to you and highlight you as an authority to be listened to along with showing how, however, that expert who has the audience serves that audience, shows how what you do complements it and strengthens it and enables them to go further. I'm going to use an example of a large coaching institute, which Gary, I can't wait to introduce you to. They're doing $42 million a year. They service tens of thousands of coaching clients with certifications. So by Gary getting connected with these folks, understanding how to line up a joint venture with them, which is exactly what we're working on together, landing those that kind of deal, and then basically getting in front of all of their current coaching students, getting in front of all their previous coaching students, and getting in front of everyone else on their list who hasn't even become a coaching student yet. So look at the expansiveness of that reach to begin with. Now, all of these coaches have their own clients that they're servicing and supporting and helping. And if YOS has been an integral part in getting them grounded as the first step in their journey, they're going to bring it to all the people they're serving. So this really does or can have a domino effect that replicates you out to that billion dramatically faster. As my friend Yannick Silver puts it, he wants to light a thousand suns that themselves light a thousand suns. This is the replication effect that joint ventures have the power to bring. Mm, I love that. So when I first heard this, so if you're listening right now, you might be saying to yourself, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Joint venture. You talk to somebody, you set up a thing where they're going to promote to you and then you sell to their audience. I get it. I've heard it. That's kind of what I thought. But then as we dove into it, what I didn't understand was the value of systematizing the process. Because there's a big difference between doing something and doing something right. And yeah, you can wing it, but 
what you've created is so different than winging it. And maybe give an example of what you've systematized. Let me ask you a question because this was really fascinating to me. You and I are going to set up a joint venture. I'm just meeting you. You have a a process of questions for me to ask you to make sure we're the right fit. Now we decide that you and I are going to do a joint venture together. What happens after that? Cool. So we come to that agreement. We want to do this. It's a great fit in service of the audience. The next thing we do, for one, we choose the date for the promo. We choose the time. We choose what the specific promotional mailing dates are. We talk about when you can expect to get those emails over to your team to send out to the audience exactly when that will happen. So every nuance of the process is systematized. So it's an example I like to give is we help you, we give you the pieces to create the cookie cutter and after that, you're just pushing it down over and over again. You're you're replicating something over and over along with understanding how to turn each of these joint ventures into two or three more. But it's what's communicated to the partner and when. It's what's communicated to your own team to understand what to build out and by when. It's taking resources to execute a promotion. Let's invent some examples, but something like a landing page or creating a webinar, like scheduling the webinar, and then duplicating that for each promotion that's being set up. So every part of it's systematized, both internally within your team and with the partner, with the goal of taking the thinking out of the process. This is a paint by numbers approach. Instead of wondering what to do or what asset or how to track it, It's all in one type of end-to-end solution that makes it easy for a company like yours to get it up and going, and then you're autonomous. Now you have a continuous traffic source and the autonomy to execute that over and over and over. Mm -hmm. So I heard you say that the first time, and I heard you probably say it again, and I probably heard you say it again, and I still didn't get it until we actually did it. And then I was like, ah, oh, now I get what you're talking about, because it just kind of one ear and out the other until we actually went to go do it. And another example of that in what you teach, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this as well, is you talked about this thing called the irresistible offer. And I I got that. I, I know what you're talking about. I've heard irresistible offer before. Yeah, I get it. You just make it really, you stack on all this stuff to it so that it seems like you're buying a whole bunch of stuff and you are, but most of it you won't, you know, I just had in my own mind what that meant. But then when I went through the process, it was so much different and it's revolutionized the conversion, right? Conversion is so critical. You can get a lot of people on a event, but if you can't convert anybody, then what good was that? You just got more frustrated. That's a fact. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So we think of this in a comprehensive way. Joint ventures bring you warm traffic. That's awesome. That's only one piece of the puzzle. So for those of you listening, I am holding up a rushing nesting doll with, I think this is George from the Beatles, right? All right. So this is the warm traffic. That's great. And then we have the irresistible offer. So we've got uh, Paul here. And then we need the overall strategy. 
So we've got John, and I'm running out of hands to hold these up. But you get these things right. You have a brilliant strategy. You have a fantastic offer that's perfect for your ideal clients. And then you have warm traffic. What you have there is a hit. You have a comprehensive approach to serving way more people, getting great results for your partners. Partners love promoting people that fit really well with their messaging community, get people results and make them lots of money. It's certainly not hard to line up JVs when every time they work with you, they get paid and their people come up and tell them what a huge positive impact you've made for them. So having something that converts well, that's ultra well aligned and having a strategy to do this methodically that simplifies what you're doing and integrates. Sure, sounds easy, but how do you actually do that in reality? That's precisely what we help companies do. Yeah, the the irresistible offer for those of you that aren't familiar with it, this is my take on it and hopefully I'll say it accurately, but you create, well, you have your offering and you know it's, it's great for the audience, but then you go through the process of saying, okay, so what are their objections? What are their reasons for not purchasing? What could come up that would hold them up? And then once you figure those things out, let's say there's three things, then you create a bonus that addresses that objection. So like in my case, if I offer them a workshop with, so I'll speak at an event, I'll take the audience through discovering their why, how, and what their YOS. And I know what's going to happen next. Next, they're going to say, I got to have this for my team. So the next thing I'm going to offer is, let's do this for your team and your business. But the objection, one of the objections could be, well, when you're going to offer that, I can't make it. So how am I going to do that? What if it's on a day that I'm not ready for, or the only day that you're going to offer this, I can't be there. So how would you create a bonus or a way that addresses that objection? Or let's say their objection is, so what I did is I created multiple times during the month that we're going to host this event every month. So it gives them time to plan to be at it. Or what if an objection was, what if I hire somebody new in three months? Now, what am I going to do? So then you create bonuses that allow you to handle that objection. Is that right, Charles? That's certainly right, along with incentivizing making a decision in a a timely manner because they they might go, oh, this is cool. We totally want to do it. We'll get back to you in six months when we feel like it. Of course, they won't because life moves on or some might. But if you can help incentivizing making a decision in a timely manner, this means you're getting them on board where they're excited, motivated, then they sink their teeth in, and anytime they're following what you say like that, they get results and everyone's winning. So it's very formulaic. The strategy is different on different markets and offers. And so that's, that's why we work hand in hand to help design that with you to ensure the best outcome possible. So I didn't want to have you on the podcast to do an infomercial for you. That was not my my goal, even though maybe it feels that way right about now, because I've been just very impressed with what you've shared with us and what we're doing and the way that it's connected the right people to us to bring what we're doing to the world. What kinds of results 
have you seen this bring to people? How has that transformed their businesses? It's been quite remarkable in, in many cases. So five of the clients I've worked over the last year have done 1.5 to 6 million in revenue, specifically from working with us. I'll highlight the $6 million one because I, I like the ring of that. But a gentleman out of Australia named Jackson Milan, who has 11K offer, helping businesses like ours focus on our core numbers and retain more personal wealth. He was dependent on Facebook mostly for his traffic, and he was doing well with it until Facebook shut down his account. And so imagine running a business and your primary lead source evaporates. It's an unnerving kind of thing. In any case, he hired me to help him with his JV strategy to identify ideal partners, how to get those conversations, book the JVs, execute them. And he's a quick start kind of guy. So he went a little overboard. He booked 70 joint ventures in two months. And I checked in with him a few months back. He's done $6 million in revenue and collected $2 million in cash. And he was messaging me yesterday. We share intros and referrals all the time. Lovely guy. So we work with all kinds of coaches, consultants, course builders, and so forth. But the tying it back to the why, being the trusted source for people, simplifying things for people, and bringing a structure and a pathway to do it the right way. This I mean, we happen to be talking about joint ventures, but this is my why. And you helped me see it in a clearer way. I don't think I would have been able to articulate it like that. And I think it's so grounding and important. I'm building that into a lot of my communication. I'm, I'm putting it inside my stage talks. I have several of those coming up like Genius Network and others. And I'm going to mention the why, which you also recommended I do because it gives people the answers they need to listen to what you're saying more effectively because they know what's driving you underneath. And then they're also spot checking, is what you're saying congruent with the why you expressed? And this is part of the clarity you really help people with, with this very important work. And I'm thrilled you transitioned your own career to enable all of us to do a lot better job with that. Yeah. So what Charles is talking about is his YOS. So his why is to create relationships based upon trust, which we're talking about. And you can tell right now that he is the trusted source. I mean, he is the guy in this field. All the people that you know, use him to learn this process. And sometimes you just do it for them. How he goes about doing that, his how is to simplify things, make them simple, easy to use, create processes, structures, systems that are simple, and ultimately, what he brings is the right way to get results. So his why is trust, his how is simplify, and his what is right way. I'm not sure there's a better YOS for what you do than what you currently have. I mean, it's just a great, I can trust you. I can count on it. If you tell me something, it's going to be the truth. You're going to simplify it to where I can actually do it. And you're going to give me a step-by-step process to get it done. How much better could it be? <laughs> I mean, that's what I would be looking for. Well, it's actually highly complimentary because your process gave me the clarity to express it that way and even internally to recognize that. Clearly, that's what I 
have been doing for a long time, but now I have a lot more succinct way to communicate it. And when I reread my why, I pull this up frequently. It just reinforces that when you have that clarity of your own purpose, you're like, it becomes a sounding board for everything you're doing. Is what I'm doing right now simplifying for people? Is what I'm doing right now the right spotlight as a trusted source? It gives you a framework for decision making. And yeah, it's really cool how you've built out the platform, how your vision for it's so big, and how I'm able to serve you because of my why to reach those billion people. So it, it, it's full circle is uh, how I'm seeing this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so last question. I know we're running out of time here. Last question for you. Charles, what's the best piece of advice you've ever given or the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Okay. Well, uh, I certainly didn't make this. I think it's a title of a, a book, but relationships are everything. If you look at anything that matters in your life, your family, your kids, your significant other, your clients, the only thing that brings value in life are relationships. If you look at people far further along in their life, all that ever mattered are the relationships. So recognizing relationships are everything, systematically finding ways to stay connected and provide people value. When you incorporate this into your everyday life and behavior and you're in service of other people, opportunities will just never end. You'll feel good. You'll feel congruent. You'll be making a positive impact for the people around you. And that replicates. You become a role model for people. When you're looking out for them, they in turn look out for others and you. And that helps us all make the world a better place. As cheesy as that may sound, it's a fact. And yeah, relationships are everything. That's, uh, would somebody with the why of trust say anything different? I mean, that is the why of, of trust to create relationships based upon trust. Success happens when we create relationships that are based upon trust. So that's perfect. Charles, if, thank you so much for being here. If there's people that are listening that say, man, that is the guy that I've been looking for. I need to learn how to do joint ventures. I need to learn how to get my message out in a bigger way. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Oh, sure. Thank you for asking. They can pop over to charlesbird.com, B-Y-R-D, and there's a a contact form on there, or you can shoot an email to success at charlesbird.com, B-Y-R-D. And uh, yeah, love to hear from you. And Gary, thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Charles. And I know we're going to be doing a lot of work together in the future as we are right now. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've not yet discovered your why, you can do so at whyinstitute.com. You can use the code podcast50 to take the why discovery at 50% off. If you love the Beyond Your Why, please don't forget to subscribe below and leave us a review and rating on whatever platform you're using because that'll really help bring this to the world. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and that through today's guest, you heard how important it is to know your why and how impactful it can be in your life and the lives of those around you. Be sure to head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. Remember, 
The more you know about yourself, the more you'll know about others. I'm Dr. Gary Sanchez, and I'll see you on the next episode.